This is Jimmy Scroggins, and I'm the lead pastor of Family Church in South Florida. Welcome to the Church for the Rest of Us podcast. On our podcast, we're committed to giving you scalable ideas that you can use with the resources you have right now at your church. So welcome to Church for the Rest of Us. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to Church for the Rest of Us podcast. Jimmy Scroggins here with my co-host, Leslie Bennett, high atop the office tower in downtown West Palm Beach. And we're really enjoying the series of conversations about the neighborhood church that we've been having. The last episode, we talked to our friend Ed Stetzer, one of the premier thinkers, researchers, and practitioners of neighborhood church. And this episode, Leslie, we have another of my favorite kind of a subject matter experts. That's right. And a repeat guest of the Church for the Rest of Us podcast, but a premier expert in multi-site church and in church leadership, Jim Tumberland. I think you know Jim pretty well. Yeah, I'm so thankful for Jim. I first was introduced to Jim through his writings Mm -hmm. and reading things he'd written, articles, books, and so forth. And then I got to be a part of a cohort several years ago that he was leading. And that's where I really made a connection, really kind of I felt like, you know, Jim and I had good chemistry and just his ideas and his thinking about where this can all go to me is very inspiring and exciting. And so we're talking about neighborhood church. It's a big driver for multi-site church. But Jim Tomlin, welcome to Church for the Rest of Us. And thanks for being a part. Well, it's always so great to be back with you. Thank you so much. And I love the chemistry we do share, Jimmy. And you are a life-giving person. It's fun to be around you and both of you, Leslie. It's been so great to uh, do these talks with you. Yeah. And so, Jim, I wonder if you just take a moment, and we've done this before, but would you just introduce yourself to our listeners? Tell a little bit about your family, where you live, and kind of the quick version of what you've done in ministry, because it's a lot. Well, hey, I mean, I've begun my fifth decade of pastoral church ministry. and How does that feel uh, to say that? It feels great. Fifth (laughs) decade, man, that's amazing. I'm just glad I'm still standing, and I've served five churches over these four-plus decades, and I left them all better than I arrived, and I'm a welcome back. Anytime I go back, that's a great gift to me, to be able to be welcome back before the as the former beloved pastor, and I'm just glad I left before I messed them up. uh, (laughs) The key. (laughs) But anyway, it's been a great run, and we're just getting started. You know, I've had a chance to pastor churches in New Mexico, Germany, Colorado, Chicago. Last run here was in in, um, in Miami, the great state nation of Miami. And, <laughs> yeah, um, that's right. Or city nation, I should say. And consult churches for the last 15 plus years and multi-site and multiplication strategies. It's been a great run. So, Well, Jim, as you've done all of this incredible ministry and You know, now to me, the value that you've really brought into my life has to do with your personal experience leading churches, but combined with now you're in all of these interactions and conversations with pastors and leaders across denominations all over the country. And you've been deeply engaged in this conversation about multi-site, which Leslie goes to our point, which is neighborhood church, because Jim, I think one of the drivers of multi-site, as you've said to me before, is to take the church to the people. Well, yeah, you know, that was my byline of my company. I started uh, when I was on staff at Willow Creek Community Church in the early 2000s, uh, leading the effort for multi-campuses there. In 2005, I left there and launched a company, uh, my own consulting firm called Multi-Site Solutions. And the byline was taking church to the people, because I really felt like that's what multi-site was all about. It was about reproducing your church, my church, in other locations. 
And so I love your model, your philosophy or strategy there at Family Church about being a network of neighborhood churches in South Florida. And I love that because really at the end of the day, local churches start in neighborhoods and that's taking church to where the people are and where they live. They live in a home and on a street in an apartment building in a neighborhood. And so I think that your strategy and wording really captures the heartbeat of what multi-sided church is all about. Well, we've learned so much from you, Jim, and I wonder if you would just talk a little bit about when you were doing multi-site, whether it was at Willow Creek or in other churches that you've worked with in Miami, tell me about how you thought about the neighborhood when it came to leading your multi-site churches. Well, I've always thought the church where I was a pastor, that my community around me, and we know that most Americans, and this has been true pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, that the majority of people who do attend church live within a 15 to 20 minute drive of that church, of their church. And that's pretty much the multiple neighborhoods around that location. And But when I started down the multi-site path in my church in Colorado Springs, where my journey with multi-site church began in the 90s, as we began to reach beyond that 15 minute perimeter of church attenders across my city of Colorado Springs, I began to become familiar with neighborhoods I never even thought about before we started multi-siting. And I started driving around the city and, you know, like, yeah, we could have a congregation here. We could have a congregation there. And never even thought about the south side of the city or the west side of the city or the east side. I was thinking more on the north side. And so that kind of expanded my view of the city, but it became a very much a neighborhood focus because each of these communities had a different socioeconomic, you know, scenario. And yet we were drawing some people from those places. And so how do we get, you know, take our church to those neighborhoods? And so... I just think the multi-site model is a local community strategy. So obviously, Jim, there's a lot of ways to do neighborhood church. You know, you can be a single site church and be neighborhood church. Mm -hmm. You can be multi-site and be neighborhood church. So we're talking about this concept of the power of the neighborhood church. So in your estimation, and even churches you work with, what are the benefits (laughs) of neighborhood church? And maybe there's some drawbacks that you've seen. Well, you know, in the early years, we used to do these surveys and we'd ask church going people, what is the ideal size of a church? And overwhelming, the answer was around about 200 people. Hmm. And then when they, you ask them to unpack that, we would say, well, why 200? Well, because we can know each other and we can have community and fellowship and we can be known and be known. And then you ask those same group of people, well, but all right, describe for me the ideal kind of church. And they say, well, the ideal church would be great preaching, great worship experience, <laughs> great student program, you know, great children's program. And they begin to, de- they begin to describe it, not a church of 200, but a church of maybe 2,000 mm-hmm. you know, that can bring that kind of quality ministry. A smaller church, it's hard. They bring great community. And that's our deepest human need is that relationship with other people and ultimately a relationship with God. But so the strength of multi-siding is we can have the strength, the intimacy of a small congregation that's very neighborhood or local oriented, but with the quality and the strength of a larger church. And so that to me is one of the benefits of multi-siding. And that's one of the reasons why this model has really gotten traction with healthy growing churches. By the way, I want to tell you, Jimmy, that you know we just completed Warren Bird with the ECFA, just completed a survey earlier this year of multi-site churches and trying to establish a new baseline in a new post-pandemic era that we're now living in. And we discovered in our survey that 67% of multi-site churches launched campuses in the last three years. 
So sometimes people ask, is the multi-site models dying? Is mm. it still a thing? Is it still working? It's still working. And you're proving that at your church, you just have launched uh, in the last three years. How many locations are opened up? How many locations? I don't even know, Leslie. Like in the last several years, yeah. I mean, yeah, at least five. 2018, since 2018, we've done five and we have six and then seven yeah. coming. You told me on this just before we went live that you have 14 locations now, about yeah. to open the 15th one. Ten of those were mergers. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. And, you know, and, and so, you know, the, the average size of a church today in America is 65 people. Hmm. 10 years ago, it was 135 people. So we're seeing that come down. But the vast majority of churches in America, 320,000 Protestant churches are in that 65 attendance category. And those are typically local neighborhood, small community churches but that have lost their way and they're sort of stuck maybe in the past and aren't, aren't able to adapt to the 21st century the way your church has been. And so that's why we're seeing a lot of mergers and you're benefiting from that. But what I love about all that, those are local churches. They're not mega churches. They're local congregations that are joining with you in a local community, you know, with a large neighborhood or two, three neighborhoods around there. And you are bringing family church to those neighborhoods. Yeah. And you're on the cutting edge of this. I'm interested in your perspective, Jim, as a consultant, because I know you work at the Unstuck Group. So, you know, some of these churches that do need help because they're struggling, you might come in with your group and help them. And mm -hmm. we get to the place where they have lost touch with the neighborhood. So is there anything that you say to churches who are struggling on how they can re-engage their neighborhood and refocus on their neighborhood? Well, Leslie, it's a great question. Yeah, we do spend a lot of time on that. And I would say about 80% of the churches in America are stuck or struggling in decline. 25% are clearly on life support or life preservation mode. Mm -hmm. About 60% are stuck. And about 20% churches like yours are healthy and growing. And we're seeing in this new day, they're not slowing down. But a lot of the reason why those churches are, are stuck or struggling is because they haven't been able to adapt to the changing neighborhood around them. When they started, you know, 30, 40, 50, 100 years, we've been work working with churches in all those age ranges. You know, the culture sh has shifted and they have not been able to shift and adapt their methods. And as we know, that life-giving, growing, healthy churches are very biblically centered. The message is unchanging, the message of the gospel, the message of Biblical truth and biblical absolutes can never change in those churches, but our methods must always be adapting and open to change to the changing culture around us. And that's where a lot of these churches have struggled of making that adaptation. Well, if you look around kind of the world, Jim, I think we would find that the vast majority of churches in the world are neighborhood churches or village churches. And what do you think we can learn from that, from the global church or from the church history, maybe even from the Bible, about the incarnational impact of a neighborhood church? Well, I would say that every church for 2,000 years has always started in someone's home on the most part, in a you know, small place like a home typically, which is in a neighborhood. I mean, we see that from Acts 2, the first church of our era, of the church era, was a church that met in houses all across Jerusalem. And actually was, became the first mega church as well with several yeah. thousand people. But they were meeting in homes, in local the neighborhoods. The first around. network of neighborhood churches. There you go. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I like to say it was the first multi-site church because, you know, the concept of multi-site is one church, many locations, a centralized leadership governance. We had that in the Apostle Paul or James, I should say, the brother of Jesus and and Peter and the early apostles were kind of that central leadership team. And, you know, they were meeting many locations. And so 
we see all those kind of elements right there. But even as the faith grew in that first century, it spread across the Roman Empire. And the strategy, if you kind of look at it, I don't know who was the Holy Spirit was directing this. I believe he was. But you follow the apostles and the disciples. They went to the large cities. They went to you know, start with Jerusalem, then Antioch, then Ephesus and Corinth and Rome, because they were the major thoroughways and the gospel spread out through those major cities. But what are cities? They are a collection of neighborhoods. Mm. <laughs> so, and so where you have a concentration of people, where you have enough people that can come together in small groups, and those are going to be in neighbors. And so we see that same concept. And I think that's pretty much happened. I'm not a historian, church historian. I'm a fan of history of all that, but you see that a lot of those concepts through church history, the Methodist church, you know, John Wesley, it was all about small groups, gathering small groups and spreading across the UK and then the colonies. We see this happening actually in countries like Iran and Afghanistan, which are some of the fastest growing places in the world for the church. And they're not building buildings <laughs> in right. mega campuses. Right. What a great point, too. And I like the way you describe what's happening in the Bible so much. So, Jim, if you know you have this broad exposure and interaction with all of these different streams of churches, I wonder if you could just give a couple of examples or maybe highlight a couple of churches around the country that you feel like, hey, these churches have a unique approach or an aggressive approach or an intentional approach about reaching their neighborhood. Mm. We think about some of the churches that have that. But what I've seen in churches that are effectively doing expanding their impact across a region. I've always felt like whether you're planting churches or starting campuses, the first step is start small groups mm. in the area where you want to have a location, a campus or a congregation. I just was in Reno, Nevada this week, working with a church there that they're looking to launch in the next town from Reno into Carson City. They have a handful of people, you know, to make the drive about 20, 30 minutes and our first step in getting launching a location there is to establish 10 small groups of about they have an average about 15 people per small group. When you get 10 small groups of people meeting in a community, in a village, you've got a church where you can come together all together and on a weekly basis for that kind of mutual encouragement and, and corporate worship. And so I think that has been from the day one. How do you start a church? You start with a small group. I think about Saddleback Community Church, Warren, who just now you know has passed the baton. I remember him telling the story. Their first church gathering was in his home. It was his five members of his family and the real estate couple and their wife and their dog. And the real estate couple weren't even believers yet, but they were. <laughs> that was their first Man, church right. service. And so, you know, it always starts with a small group, usually in someone's home. I just think yeah. it's so powerful. It's just a powerful concept that every, you know, everybody talks about city reaching is a big kind of a theme among church planters and church growth people or people who are thinking about that. And I think your point that, Every city is a collection of neighborhoods and that every church going all the way back to the book, but almost every single church starts in someone's home, which mm -hmm. is always in a neighborhood. That's a really great insight. I haven't thought about it exactly that way, Leslie. And then I wonder, Jim, as you look at pastors and churches, what do you think that pastors and churches are missing about the potential of neighborhood ministry? Jimmy, I think that the big miss that we've made so much in our generation, perhaps last several decades, is that we've made church all about a building. Mm. We've made it very building centric. You know, the goal of a church planter is starting out in a school or something. Hey, we got to get a building. Mm. And, you know, the bigger the building, the greater our quote, success. And we've sort of, and I'm all for inviting people to church and, and bringing people to experience the corporate worship and all that. I'm a big fan of that. I've, I've devoted my life to that. But I realized the other side of the coin, that's the come and see. But the go and tell is how do we train and equip our committed core, our church, the committed Christ followers to see themselves 
or we need to train them to see themselves as missionaries in their neighborhoods, that God has planted them in that neighborhood, on that street. Mm. You are a follower of Jesus. You have the light of Christ in you, the life of Jesus in you. And most of our neighbors in America today, eight or nine out of 10 are not church going for sure and probably far from God. And so, but God's planted you there. I was in Atlanta this past week, week ago, and I got in an Uber and the driver was a very outgoing, enthusiastic young man from Nigeria. And he immediately started telling me his story, like his journey here, and then how he became a part of a church. And he started, he was a youth pastor and, and he was involved, but he sort of had gotten away from the Lord and was having some hard times in his life. And so he said, so what do you do, Mr. Jim? And I said, well, I'm a pastor and God sent me to talk to you today. Uh, I am your messenger from God to say, hey, to be encouraged and to follow Jesus and to put him back first in your life. And we ended up praying together at the end of, the, of our ride. And I sent him a, we took a picture together. I directed him to a local church there in Atlanta that I you know, recommended him to go see. And we've been corresponding. All I'm saying is that God planted me in that person's life for that moment. That was just a passing, you know, drive an Uber. But I'm in my in my neighborhood every day with people. And by the way, this Saturday, our new neighbors that moved in a few months ago, we're having them over for dinner. They're from Pakistan. That's and exciting. Our first, converse, our first conversation was when we were out in the yard working together just there. And I said, so welcome. He goes, ask me, what do you do, Jim? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he goes, and then I said, so what is your faith background? And he says, well, I'm Muslim. And I said, Welcome. We're glad you're here in the neighborhood. And he said, thank you. I've not always felt welcomed uh, me and my oh, family. Wow. But uh, so we're having them for dinner tomorrow night. So or Saturday night. So pray for us on that. But that's the kind of thing to train our people to be thinking about everybody in your life. God has planted them there in your neighborhood. And you are God's voice and messenger to bring the good news to them. That's really good, Jim. And when you encourage churches to do that, what other ways have you seen be effective, you know, sort of, I mean, you're talking an organic approach there, which I think mm-hmm. everybody should engage in, but are there any you know, systems or methods that you've seen work on a church-wide basis? Well, I would say, first of all, pastors and church leaders need to be training their people on how to share their faith. Jimmy, what I love about you've created a wonderful tool that I've incorporated into a couple of churches that I've been serving over the last couple of years in the three circles. And you can put it in an app. And even if people don't have to memorize something, they can read or look at pictures. <laughs> they can on their yeah. phone. They can walk someone through what it means to know and follow Jesus. I think equipping people how to share their faith, mm-hmm. training them to be aware that there's opportunities all around you to share your faith. And here's a tool that can help you do that. Teaching our people to be missionaries is really is how do we do good works, good deeds in the community, but also tying that to the good news of the gospel. And so that's kind of the two sides of Christian witness, good works, then in terms of serving people around us. I think having people coming into your home for meals is always huge, opens up people's hearts and relationships. So training people to just basic hospitality, training, doing things in your larger neighborhood where your church is serving a community and what we call community engagement where we're doing, you know, whether it's serving food to the under-resourced or cleaning up a community or street or something, but inviting your neighbors to join you in that. Mm -hmm. I think these are some of the ways doing that kind of social service in the name of Jesus, in the name of your church. That's an easy invite for your church family to invite their neighbors to do that. And, And many of them are more willing to do that than they would be to attend your church. Well, Jim, I so appreciate you sharing with us your insights on these things. And I value just your experience, your heart for this ministry, and five decades of 
relationships and things you've tried that have worked or haven't worked, and then your intense engagement with pastors around the country from various streams of churches is so valuable in my mind and in my life. And so I want to thank you for that kind of service and investment that you make in all of us. And I wonder if you would just be one to share. I know you're working with the Unstuck Group. If somebody wanted to get in touch with you or find out more about, get some help with a merger, get some help with launching sites or evaluating their approach, how would they get in touch with you in order to do that? Well, thank you for that, Jimmy. I am a part of the Unstuck Group. I merged my company, my merged for multi-site solutions. <laughs> yes. And it was a good merge. There you go. Uh, it was in 2019, after 14 years of leading my own uh, consulting firm, I merged it with Tony and Morgan and the Unstuck Group. And uh, see, three, four years later, you know, it's even better than it was when we first started. And so we're just so grateful for that relationship. But you can contact me at jim at the unstuckgroup.com or just go to the unstuckgroup.com website and we have help on how to help churches get healthy so they can multiply or to go through mergers. We do that consulting as well. I also wanted to come back, Linda, one more, you asked about what are some ideas to help people, you know, be good neighbors in their neighborhood. And that builds a bridge to sharing their faith, sharing the gospel, inviting to church. One of the things we learned when I was at Willow Creek through the reveal study that we did of mm-hmm. how effective we, it was a study that we were surveying our church, how effective are we in making disciples? And what we discovered that the most effective evangelists were very mature believers who were very passionate about sharing their faith, but their most effective tool was a question. It was, how can I pray for you, friend, neighbor? Mm. You know, I've learned there's a lot of evangelism explosion, continuing witness training. You know, if you're Southern Baptist, Jimmy, remember those days? Oh, yeah. You have a great tool that's not you don't have to memorize now. And those are all great tools, and I love those. But the most effective way to open up a conversation, spiritual conversation, that can lead to sharing your faith is, how can I pray for you? 99.9% of people in the world will always welcome and have a need for someone to pray for them. We just had a cool story. Yeah, we had a cool story about that this week at our staff chapel. Every week we share stories. And one of our pastors shared how he and his wife always do that at breakfast. And then literally over the course of years, they prayed for this waiter. And a few Mm. weeks ago, he and his wife and his baby came to one of our churches and is beginning to get engaged there. So you never know how long it's going to take, but it was a really good story about how that's a very effective way to reach people. Yeah, and it doesn't take a lot of training to ask that question, does it? No. Great point. Well, listen, what a great conversation, Jim. Thank you again. And I do commend Jim to you if you're looking for some help with these kinds of things, because Jim has helped us. He's been a consultant with us at Family Church. He helped us get started in the whole multi-site process, and especially when it came to mergers. So I commend him to you. To all of our listeners, thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much for joining us. And we're very, very glad. And we would like for you listeners to join us at our Church for the Rest of Us conference on March the 2nd, 2023. There is no better time to come to sunny South Florida than in March. And we're going to have so much fun. We're going to learn from each other. There's no green rooms. You can hang out with everybody, talk to everybody. Register today at churchfortherestofus.com. I am Jimmy Scroggins. I'm signing off for Leslie Bennett and my friend Jim Tomerlin. This has been Church for the Rest of Us. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog or follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins. We want to connect with you and learn from you because we're in this together. We're all learning from each other. We are Church for the rest of us. Oh,